2: Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format slightly different and for around about 30 minutes each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today guys is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at the coaches Net. Once again that is at the Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach yas and I'm a a licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Gerard, let's get straight into it, man. Obviously, we've come off a really, really interesting and uh, interactive webinar with some of the great uh, coaches that have joined us on that one. Obviously, we're looking at effective feedback, feedback strategies. Maybe just start from there, What, what is effective feedback for you?
3: So, there's a quote that I shared. And for me, I think it really resonates a lot. And it was around effective feedback being one that taps into the perception of the player. And guides the the search of the player because I think often, a lot of the time we can pretty much sort of limit or prescribe what a solution should be, or we're often dictating to the players what we've seen as a solution, and we're sort of telling them or showing them. But actually, feedback that can develop because it's all it's it's information, it's augmented information, augmented information that can allow the player to search for information and come up with their own solution is going to be a hell of a lot more uh, impactful. And it's not to say that you can't be directive, because there might be times where you might need to short-circuit the decision-making process. And by that, I mean sometimes you might have to tell them what an answer or show them, whether that be visually, whether that be haptic, whether that be auditory, you're telling them move here or receive like this or whether you're showing them on the iPad and you're saying, look, in these areas of the field, if you met this runner, sometimes you might need to to show them to tell them the answer. But then my question to that person would be, can you lead with an even better question as a follow-up? Because the danger becomes is that if we're constantly giving information and we're telling the players what to do, where to look and how to move, if they're faced with a problem that they've never seen before, They're going to look to us for the answer. And that's the challenge because it develops that dependency on the the coach's feedback versus creating environments where the players can self-regulate and sort out their own problems. Because there's that phrase which is, you know, feedback given isn't necessarily feedback received and understood. So how can we ensure that what we're doing, we're even checking for understanding as well? Because we're assuming that by sharing information that they've understood it, and people do all the time, don't they, they go, does that make sense? And the player goes, yes, <laughs> you know, they nod. not. But how well do we know? So for me, effective information is not necessarily prescriptive in that it's telling them what to do, where to look, how to move, or even prescribing an, an ideal movement solution. But it's one that allows them enough clues you know the coach is giving clues and setting challenges for them to search for their own solution, to discover and adapt their own bodies based on the information from the environment that they've identified. That that would be it for me.
2: No, I think there's some great stuff in there. I think one of the key pieces really you know that jumps out for me is, is helping them to understand how the feedback is directly related to them. What can they take away from it as individuals? So yes, we've got we've got this observation that we've made, but what does it mean for that individual that we're giving it back to? And recognizing that that you know like that 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 saying that you mentioned there about feedback given is not necessarily understood, or feedback given is not necessarily feedback understood or received, um, I think is really key. So you know let's look at that because you know we we've just come off a webinar talking all about feedback, different types of feedback, and you know the, the uses of feedback in terms of that piece there, making sure it's individualised, what's one of the most uh, challenging things that you think coaches will have to deal with when when providing that feedback?
3: Well, I think, first of all, they're assuming that their solution is the correct one and the only one. I think that's a challenge because what if the player have seen... Like, How well do we tap into what the player's seen? Because they might have seen something that we haven't. So you need to take that on board in that they might have seen something and they were trying something and that might have been a better act better solution than the one we had. There might have been another reason why it didn't come off. Do you know what I mean? Do we need to give feedback? You know, I saw a coach, I'll give two examples, one of me coaching years ago, and I always use this one, and one, what I saw yesterday, in that this player was doing the same thing. And and every time the, the coach is trying to say to the player what to do, how to receive? Which we had this in the webinar come up about receiving back foot and things like that. And this this coach is trying to prescribe that solution to the player, and he was even saying to him like where to pass next to. But actually, the players had a better passing option decision than we had, and the one that he saw, the coach saw, might have been the more obvious one, but he saw something that we didn't see. And actually, it was a better outcome. And you can play with a bit of disguise, a bit of deception, and find that open pass. So they're little things that I think are key. And and another example I'd give is, I remember years ago, watching this player about to receive the ball. And we're all ready, aren't we? We're like ready to pounce and jump in and start coaching. And I was actually talking to another coach who was to the left of me. And I remember looking at this player. And in terms of if there was like a technical book... The player's probably done everything wrong, technically, in terms of what the traditional solution would be, right? If you like, if that makes sense. And they've come down the line of the ball, probably uh, they were flat. I remember the body shape, like really flat body shape. Timing was probably off. You know, everything's off. So you'd normally talk about other things like coming off at an angle. Uh, time of the movement, can they receive an open body shape, can they see the opposition go before they receive the ball, all these other things. Anyway, long story short, before I went in to coach it, I just waited because I just wanted to see what would happen. I wanted to see first versus jumping in. And sometimes we can jump in and stop it before they've actually had a chance. Anyway, this kid did this mad turn. I've never seen anything like it. Unbelievable. Different taps. Probably got a little bit of luck in terms of how the ball bounced. But long story short, they did a move that I'd not quite seen before and they outplayed a 1v2. Now, if you'd have looked at it on video and you'd have freeze-framed it, you'd have probably said the player's going to lose the ball. But they actually got out of this situation, 1v2, with a movement solution that was better than the one I was going to offer, which would be the traditional um, uh, sort of uh, rule book, if you like. And I think that's where we've got to be really careful is that we, we're assuming that we might have a better solution, but what if the players have got one better than us? And if we're really thinking about, you know, checking for understanding, which is another part of this, you know, if we're saying, does that make sense? Everyone understand. They're closed questions. So when we say stuff and we set a challenge or we add a rule or we give information or instruction, how well can we tap into what the players have seen? So can we say to the players or can we use certain questions that elicit them to tell us? what we think. So it's like, hey, Yaz, so as you intercept the ball now, what are some of your options to to counter? So where where can you score? Oh, we're trying to score in that goal and that goal. Okay, but we're looking at brilliant. Okay, well done, off you go. You, you 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 check in for understanding because it goes back to that point that you just made, which is feedback received. feedback given isn't necessarily feedback received and understood. So they might say all the right answers, they might say yes, they might not how well do we know that they know? And how can it happen to more what they've seen? I'm sure you've had on that, Yaz.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's two key things that have jumped out for me as you're speaking. I think if we go back to the first piece around uh, the player coming up against the 1v2 and actually unpacking it in a way that you you hadn't anticipated. I think the first question that comes to me is, if we're looking at this topic of feedback, what can we learn and what can we do in that situation to support that further? So the questions I'd be be asking coaches to consider in that respect would be, right, players come up with this solution. And the solution isn't one that maybe I would have uh, referred them to, if you like. However, can we look to understand and identify what allowed us, or rather the player in this case, to get the success they did? So you talk there about, you know, the type of bounce that the ball had when it was coming into him. Right, so that's a variable, and then we throughout the webinar that we we just spoke about. Um, one of the key words I kept on using was that word variable. What are the variables that the players are actually identifying? What are they identifying as um, impactful variables or variables that don't don't actually make a difference to their performance? But in this case, it's if they're getting success, if they're finding out, if they're finding ways to perform or I'd rather solve a problem that we haven't necessarily prescribed them for or given them guidance towards, can we start to pay more attention to how and why that problem was unpacked and over, overcome by, with their solution by recognising what the variables were and how they actually dealt with those variables? So would that player still have had the same success as if that ball didn't come into him the way it did? Would he understand how he might have to do things differently if the ball didn't come into him the way it did? Would he understand how to do things differently if the players that were reacting to the ball that came into him didn't react in that way? And it's those what-if moments, just making those considerations. So I think you know the, one of the key things that come for me with that is coaches thinking about when you're unpacking some of these things with players, if they've come up with a solution, whether it's one that you've directed them towards or their own, how much attention or how much information can you gather around the considerations that were made? either from them initially and then what other considerations can you add to the list for them for them to then process through as they're going through the solution the solution um well the process of using their solution to overcome the problem they're in front of if that makes sense and the second piece you know you talked about i just i literally let you just use that word that you said makes sense does that make sense does that you know do you know do you understand and you know, these type of closed questions at which you often see coaches and you know we've, we've often been guilty of, of using ourselves. And I think it's what do we really want to find out? Yes, you really want to find out, does it make sense? But does the question that you're asking really let you find out whether it actually makes sense? And that's what I would say. So some of the things that I've looked to do within that when I'm working with players in particular is, right, <clears throat> who can explain back to me what I've just said? Can anyone show me what I'm hoping to see? And anyone not sure about anything I've said and you know, really just giving them no opportunity just to say yes or no or put their hand up or not put their hand up because if you ask them do they understand or does it make sense the first thing they're going to try and do is say yes because they know that's the quickest way to get that ball rolling again however if they recognise that actually what we're trying to do is we're trying to help them learn we're not trying to catch them out and this is part of the process as well a lot of players and just as human beings in general as soon as you throw a question at us our backs get up a little bit, and we start to think. Right, why is he asking me a question? What's he trying to catch me out? What have I, what have I done wrong? And I think it's just creating that environment and fostering an environment where questions are accepted, embraced, and actually eagerly exciting, um, anticipated from the players that we we want the questions, or you know, in return as coaches, we want our players to ask us questions because it's going to challenge us to think. Evolve in, in how we're looking at things, and even tap into the perceptions of the players themselves. Yeah, there's a lot in there, Jordan.
3: It's all and it, it's all good. It's all good stuff, and ultimately, you know, I mean, one of the things we were talking about a lot was you've got these different types. So, how much of your feedback is concurrent? So, during an action, and why might you do that? So, we see, I see a lot of coaches will give feedback to the player on the ball, and I think that's poor. We shouldn't be coaching the player on the ball because they're making decisions. Let them make the decision. You know, you see parents do it, you see coaches do it, where they'll shout, pass, dribble, turn, play forward. That, you know, they're the, the taking away that because they're, they're trying to solve that problem for the player because they're not trusting the player ultimately to be able to do it themselves. And they often think, even though sometimes players like have that free, especially when you'll see with young kids where they'll they're taking the time it's not that they can't make a decision like it's that they're still processing information so they they're getting ready to make a decision it's just taking them a little bit longer than it would me and you and that's okay we've got to allow that time for them to be able to do that um you know we talked about terminal where We're giving feedback after the movement outcome. So that could be during the water breaks. It could be immediately after they've made uh, a mistake. Does it always have to be a mistake? So we talked about that. Because a lot of feedback currently is focused heavily on error correction. But how much do we talk about the things that they're doing well, you know, and praise and, and reward that effort and those intentions you know, and catch them doing things well, which is something you mentioned, didn't you, in, in the webinar? So I think that's a good piece. And again, the other one was the transitional. So transitional is that you're giving information, but you're not prescribing to the player what to do, where to look or how to move. What And you can deliver it concurrently or terminally. But what you're doing is you're helping the player, you're guiding their search, so they can come up with their own solution. And I think that's the 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 cool sort of sweet spot in the middle in that sometimes you can give feedback during the moment. Sometimes you can give it immediately after so it's fresher. Sometimes you can do it during the water break. Sometimes you can do it way after. You can show it visually. You can show it on a TV screen. You can use an iPad. You can show, you know, you can talk to them. But how much are we sharing information that taps into their perception? And that's a big question, I guess, for us, for us, Yaz, to unpack and even for the group is how much of that information that we share taps into the perception of the player versus imposing our perception upon the player. And I think that's the, the interesting piece.
2: They're definitely interesting to And I think one of the challenges coaches, coaches often have is um, if we tap into the perception of the players, we might be in for a entry into a world that we've never expected to exist and I think that's, you know, for me, it's about coaches becoming vulnerable enough to recognize we don't have the, all the answers. In fact, we shouldn't expect to have all the answers either. And placing that expectation on ourselves can be a very dangerous thing because then it comes back to another thing that I talked about in the webinar about coaching and absolutes and recognizing that actually by knowing that we don't have all the answers, we can only coach the things that we definitely no support the players but not limit the players in their ability to perform actions overcome problems and find solutions to anything that they come across so i think that's a really key piece for me um but i think yeah like 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 you said it's tapping into that perception what does that look like what what has the player considered you gave a great example earlier about the player that you know beat the 1v2 you weren't expecting that maybe i don't know but the player you know showed you something that maybe you couldn't see happening because they saw something that we didn't, as coaches, and that's absolutely fine. But as as long as we can understand, that actually, sometimes we just need to take a step back. And you know, you made another great point around the the, the feedback piece and feeding back to the player that's on the ball. That's one that I often look at with coaches, and it's how much time do you spend not focusing the player on the ball? Because like, you're right. I think I think in in actual fact, everyone is making a decision at all times. So I don't think it's a case of because the player on the ball is necessarily making a decision, but the players on the ball making the decision are probably going to have a larger—it's uh, probably going to have a larger either detrimental impact or delayed delayed impact on their ability to make the decision in the moment. Whereas you can probably have less less damaging impact through feedback if it is going to be damaging at all for those players away from it. And I think that's probably a better way to look at it. Let's not disrupt someone who's in the who's in the driving seat of of the action less you know question query and support this passengers of the journey if that makes sense
3: yeah and i think as well something for people to think about is that you know there's always that worry that some coaches might be like i don't want to give too much autonomy because if i open it up it'll get like i'll lose control and i think it's how you do it and how you manage it and the skill in the questions and so forth and again coaches have to be vulnerable you know and you have to know that like it can work really well so it's a, it's a huge advantage
2: 100% um just consciously you know if anyone's got any questions or anyone's got any insight they want to add around anything that we said so far and you know maybe while while they're considering whether to get involved or not Gerard, maybe just have a think about what are some of the key uh considerations that you'd ask coaches to make we're looking at how to address or approach feedback is
3: that sorry is that a question question
2: for me or yeah yeah just a question for you just while you know while while we see if anyone else wants to jump in the conversation really just you know if if a coach was listening to this right now and they're thinking right I'm not sure where to actually start with this feedback piece I want I want to be someone who likes to involve the players in the in, in you know in what we're doing, I like. I want like I want the players to be able to express themselves and add that creative piece. And a very key thing that you mentioned earlier was, I don't know if I can be vulnerable enough because really it's an ego thing. If I'm vulnerable, it, it might mean that I don't know everything. But actually, you know, what are some of the considerations that you, you think maybe coaches could start to take into place in order to get to that point where they can become vulnerable?
3: I think the biggest thing is thinking about it, less of us giving an answer to the players but more how can we tap into player's scene. so it's just it's a great way to look at it and think can I do I always have to have the answer I don't know if we always have to, you know, I've actually discovered some really cool things by asking questions and, and players figuring stuff out and you've seen stuff so I would say an example, I mean, we gave a couple before, but I use a lot of challenges where it's don't tell me, show me, you know, because they can tell you the answers all day long, but can they actually show it? You know, that's the most important thing. They've got to be able to execute it and they've got to be able to do it based on information from the environment, which comes back to implicit learning, explicit learning, you know, and I would use examples where how how can your movement create space for yourself or your teammate? Show me different ways that you can move to attract or or uh, deceive uh, an opponent. So, you're not telling them how to do it, but you're asking them to show you and equally with that, you might say things like, how can your pass or your dribble eliminate two or more defenders? Off you go, show me. You know, even if you're working more on breaking lines as a topic, it might be then you just talk about the pass, but Obviously, you can break lines with a no-touch turn. You can break lines with a dribble. You can, do you know what I mean? So, it's, you get, you're not saying to them, you can only do it by doing this, but they might decide, you know what, I can split the defenders with a pass. I can play over. I can play around. I can split them with a with a touch turn, you know. So, there's different, you know, if you need that player to recognise how their first touch can, t- you know, attack space and get away from pressure, how can your touch eliminate the defender? How you know, think about is it gonna be a protection touch where you're securing the ball? Is it gonna be an elimination touch? And it's been playful with your vocab. You know, I've used things like empty and fill. Because empty and fill, I've referred to it like imagine like you you empty one space, and if you empty that space, can somebody else fill it? So you're getting players to move and rotate and switch positions. I've used language like hide and seek, you know, because everyone knows hide and seek, it's playful to game. I've talked to strikers, that like how can you hide and seek? So hide, you might be running off the bit like a Harland. You're on the blind side of the, the, the defender. And then you're making runs across the defender or you're coming from an offside to an onside position to go seek the ball. I'm not saying how he'll do it, but by using language, they're going to have to look for information from the environment to come up with their own solution. And I think that's the art of coaching. You know, it's it's a it's a balance between obviously an art and a science, but you that's the beauty of it is that you're going on that discovery learning. It can't be too exploration because if there's too much, players don't know. You know what happens if you're working with players who are the real low level. Again, sometimes you might have to show them a little bit more, but then can you lead with a question?
1: Every time.
0: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
3: If there's too much questions, you can cause confusion. It's finding that balance. But I like to... I I very much have gone completely the other way now, where I'm less about modelling the correct solution... And I'm more interested in, like, what can you do? How can you skillfully adapt your body to come up with an even better solution in this moment? So then you're you're developing the player's ability to search for information, discover it, and exploit it. They're looking for triggers. They're looking for hip flexion, movement, body contact. They're looking at, like, you know, Barry's got a closed body shape and he's ball watching, so I can exploit this on the blind side. You know, you're you're looking at um, when they're striking the ball, at what point am I making my movement? You're getting players to become more attuned to the environment, which is good because that means they're becoming more game responsive versus an environment where, like, we say, no, this is how you do this, this is how you do that. But the danger becomes is that that situation doesn't apply to every situation because every context is different. The game is forever changing. It's different. And for players... They'll do it. You know, if Tony says to me or you said to me, Yaz, I want you to just stand over there, I'll stand over there. I don't necessarily know why I'm doing it. I'll do it because the coach has told me to do it. And I might know a little bit of the why because you might have told me, you might have said, look, can you see now? What has that given you more? Oh, I've got more space so I can receive. Brilliant. Off you go. You have still kind of short-circuited the decision-making though because you've told me pretty much or you've, is it better to be here or here? Well, I'll know based on the way you've structured the feedback, the question, it's a closed question. There's a clear right and wrong answer. Mm. So I'll go, right, it's here. But I don't I haven't had to search, I haven't looked and identified the triggers, the variables that you keep referring to. I don't know what those variables are. So I, I haven't then developed the ability to recognise, ah, at this moment, then I would do this. And that's developing that player's ability to interact with the environment, that instinct. And you get that through experience and through playing and through experimenting. So we need yeah. to develop more environments that allow for that, versus environments that are more prescribed, rehearsed, patterned.
2: Because the game isn't. that. I think you're spot on. I think, I think you know, there's a there's a time and a place for everything, right? I think it's recognising also where where the players are in their journey. I think there is times where you can. Um, you can short circuit in the way that you've just described I think as long as we're providing some sort of context as to, what, as to the why and maybe some of the things they need to think about because you could put a player in that position you basically write okay I want you to be here because I believe this to be the most effective position but I want you to recognise when you might need to get there and now you, you still find a way to bring their attention back to the, some of those variables which you talked about there and interact with the envirom- environmental factors that are, that are going to impact on their decision um, but no, I think it's a great point Johnny evening mate how are you
4: yeah i'm good fellas thank you um i was wanting to ask hopefully this question makes sense first time round again but wanting to ask if you guys change the way you give feedback if players are emotional whether they're frustrated or angry or or the opposite end overly excited um if there's anything that you do there's something i use in particular but i'd like to get you guys thoughts
2: I think it's a great question, Johnny. Fantastic question. In fact, I think um, it's definitely, definitely a consideration you have got to make. I mean, I know certainly I'm, I'm, I'm someone who likes to ask a lot of questions. But if I can recognise that maybe a player has come in and they're, they're not in the best of places emotionally, whether they whether that's you know, whether it's angry, just upset, or whatever that might be, it does definitely take a, uh, take a, you know, some sort of toll in terms of how I might then frame my questions or whether I even throw certain questions to them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I'm trying to think of any specific examples of that. But I think ultimately, actually, you know what? Now I think about it, I don't know if it will change the question. I think what it will do is change how soon the question comes in or whether I ask the questions. Um, I think I'll definitely still be asking the question whether, whether, it's, whether it's an immediate question or whether it's, right, I recognise this player is in a certain space emotionally. Let me break them down, and get them back to an even kill and then and then and then fire the question in them from there. Um but at the same time, it's also recognizing that actually that's a that's a that's a learning opportunity for them. You know, can they deal with their managing their emotions and have to have to process and, and solve problems at the same time? Um so yeah, I mean that's probably hard i look at it to be honest. What about yourself, Gerard? I think it yeah, it
3: definitely depends, doesn't it? And it comes back to that phrase that I've used before which is I stole it from um, Alex Ingle is what I'm about to say going to help or hinder and I think there's times where you can probably look at it and go do you know what maybe not today or actually my timing might be off or do you know what he's still wrestling with this so maybe I need to just let it go. Um, I know there was a phrase that Tony's used a lot which is like skillful neglect and the, the, the time where you might not offer something now because it can be something that you'll touch on another day tomorrow so I think there's there's that piece um, ultimately for me I, I think everything should be individualised right we should be creating these personalised experiences for players because we are different and it's recognising individual difference with people whether that be their emotional management whether that be where they are technically where they are physically where they are within the session. There'll be some players that are doing better in different types of games than others, you know. There'll be players that will thrive in certain types of activities where uh, there's a lot going on, there's more chaos. And there'll be other players that won't thrive in those environments, but they're normally your top performers. But in that particular activity, they might be your bottom performer. So you've got to recognise like other things, what's going on and where to pick, pick your moments. And, you know, there's a phrase I was gonna use before I forgot my trail of thought, but ultimately I'm always trying to think about where where is they at and where do I want to get them to. And it just depends, doesn't it? Um sorry there was a trail of thought I had there, I've lost it. Let let me see if it comes back. I don't know if that answers your question, Joe, what your it'd be great to share your thoughts, Johnny.
4: Oh, I'm all over you with losing losing train of thought, yeah. I do that almost every <laughs> So what what I do in terms, because I think feedback strategy is right at the top of the pyramid in terms of how we develop players. So right at the, when I know I have a full season to work with, and one of the first things I work on is, it depends on the team you're with or whatever, but but it's red head, blue head. So what do you look like when you're in a red face state, angry, frustrated, whatever it is, and then the flip side is is blue head, and and what I just get is the players to describe these things to me during the first few weeks, and then we build a. We build every session on it, we build every game on it, so that if we are in a game, someone makes a mistake, we can see the goal, the feedback that comes on the pitch from myself at the start of the season is redhead, redhead, find the blue head, and then within that we'll build strategies of returning to sort of your rest state, so whether that's a, a double breath inhalation, whether it's seeing the big pitch, you know, we, we work on specific strategies, but I
3: I love the red-head-blue idea myself. I love it I Actually, I was smiling because I used red bluehead blue myself. I I, I, stole, I don't know where you stole it from, but I took it from rugby. It was the first time. Um, I remember seeing Rusty, Russell Earnshaw, and he was doing an England camp and uh, with the under-20s. And uh, I know it was a lot of stuff that typical Eddie Jones will use as well. I love it. I lose, love red bluehead, blue head but I have to explain to the players what we mean. And I used it even just to set challenges where a player was like rushing and panicking the cross. So he was going into that redhead. And how can you be more calm? How can you be a bluehead in that moment? And, uh, yeah, it's actually really good for self-regulation.
4: Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it, it probably comes from the all, back, all Blacks, doesn't it? Almost everything comes from them. But, yeah, you, you can use it so effectively to cover so many different ways. Just like you're saying, there's, there's times where I might whisper to one of the players, go and try and get someone into redhead within training so that, you know, we have the the time to one-to-one chat what happened, what you know, somebody sent me into redhead. And, and yeah, it's, it's really flexible. And the great thing is that you can get constant change and feedback from it too.
2: Tony, evening, mate. How are you? I'm no, all good, good, thanks.
1: Very uh, refreshed after my, uh, my, my break in, uh, in Orlando the other week.
2: It's lucky for some, mate. Talk to us. What's your question tonight, Tony? What's your thoughts? I
1: think there's a phrase that comes up every time we do one of these spaces, um, and that is that context is key. So I think feedback, um, like, I, I think I'll, I've said this before, a lot of coach education has become so fluffy that people are almost scared to, to confront. And sometimes when you're giving feedback, that's, that might be what's required. Now, obviously, if you're working with the under-9s and under-10s, you don't want to get into that situation, but if you're working with uh, more experienced players, older players, um, and you need to get a point across, then you can't be afraid to get that that point across. I like the thing that Gerard spoke about earlier on. When you know, every 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 now and again, one of us will see something that we might have never seen before, and, and we wouldn't have offered that a solution, but. That's sometimes down to the player's instinct. He beat two players because he tried this one thing he's never tried before. And if you ask him how he did it, he might not know the answer to that because it just he just did the trick. He did he made the move at that particular time purely on instinct. Um, and this is something that I've found working with a lot of pros have now gone on to become. Um, senior coaches and, and first-team managers at a pro level, who they get frustrated with lesser players. And I believe that Glenn Hoddle, this was a point that was made about Glenn Hoddle when he first started coaching. He used to get really frustrated with the players that he was coaching to the point where he would walk off. But that was born out of frustration because they weren't as good as he was. He, he could still demo as a coach better than he could explain. I've also come across some coaches who could do perfect demos, but didn't know how to break it down. So I think that the context and and knowing the age group uh, and and the type of players that you work with is really important. I've worked for one manager who um, his his style was all about confrontation and he, he didn't have a lot of friends but he won a lot of trophies and he won a lot of leagues and he won a lot of promotions. So I think you've just got to, you know, you've got to be prepared to, to mix the way that you give feedback. I work with an under-15s group now and an under-13s group and I find that the way that I speak to both groups is completely different.
2: Do you know Tony, Tony, I think it's a great point and I think the key thing to really take away from that and the thing that really jumped up for me as you were speaking was what's the role of the coach? And I think a lot of the coaches spend too much time to become players' friends. And I don't think you can do that. I think you've got to draw that line Is have a good relationship with players or not have a good relationship with players. But your role is to have an impact, a positive one at best. Can you have a positive impact? Whether you are being direct with them, whether you're giving them a little bit of time, you're being patient with them. Is anything that you're doing detrimental? And come back to that phrase that Gerard used, am I helping or am I hindering? And I think as a coach, you just need to be in that helping phase as often as possible and as as wherever you can. And you can't be doing that if you're trying to become best friends with the players, and if you can't be doing that if you're trying to avoid a hurt, you know, upsetting the players. I think what you need to do is find the right balance, and you know, come back to what you said about context is key. I think it's also important to then recognize as a coach where are your strengths. Have you got a coaching team around you, you know, or even just a a co-coach with you that has maybe has a different skill set and then between your collaboration between the two of you and your, and your skill sets based on your your experiences based on your um your personalities based on you know the way that you view the game and how you interact are you able to kind of give the players a a more rounded approach if you like so that they can have access to all different types of and i've certainly been in situations you know I'm, i remember in the early years i used to coach um I've been quite fortunate in some ways where I've always had someone that I've been coaching with, whether they're seen as a leader or I'm seen as a leader, you know, aside from that, we have always had someone that I'm working with. And I guess what I found in it just by nature, I think it was a lot of the coaches that I had worked with early on. Sorry. (laughs) A lot of the coaches I had worked with um, early on, they had a lot of focus around the social corner. And I think in some ways it kind of allowed me to get away with not necessarily being as focused in the social corner myself. So I ended up spending more time spent, you know, focused around the technical corner, the the tactical stuff, the physical stuff and everything else apart from the social corner. But then when I finally ended up in a situation where I didn't have someone who could do that, I then had to adopt that role and, it, and I had to learn how to do that a bit more effectively. So I think it's recognising where we are as coaches, what we're trying to get out from the situation and more important, like I said, are we helping or hindering the players? And our role should be helping. And it's not to become their best friend all the time. Sometimes they might be the worst enemy. But as long as we're having a positive impact, it might not be necessarily short-term positive impact all the time either. It might be a long-term. So they might not like what you have to say, but if they can see the po- see the benefits of what you have to say and take that on board, and I think that 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 resistance or that that kind of um, rejection towards it at times can can easily go away very quickly. It's about building that credibility. I'm not sure what your thoughts on that, Gerard.
3: I agree a lot, and even listening to one, what you said there, but even Tony, it's fascinating. Just like how the importance of there can be many different styles of how you work, but you can still get success. Obviously, the question is always that you know, did you get success? At, did players succeed in spite of the system, and not necessarily because of the system? Because sometimes that's a factor as well, right? You know, it might not be that the coaching was good or whatever. It might have just been that you had good, experienced players or senior pros or whatever who took control. And it might not be because of the system. But it does paint a picture of, like, there are different ways. And it's not to suggest that this way is the only purest way and this way is bad. We do have to be careful of those dualisms, don't we? You know, and saying that one end of the spectrum is terrible and this end is good. But obviously, you will have your biases. I'll have mine. Tony will have his. You'll have yours. Johnny will have his. And that's okay. But it's wondering, like, it's accepting that there are different approaches and we can get success in different ways. But it all comes down to, as you know, as Tony just said, like that context and what's relevant and needed for that group in that moment. And that's a, a skill that you only get probably with more experience, don't you? And you're not always going to get it wrong. You're probably going to get it Uh, Sorry, right. You're going to get it wrong probably a lot more than you get it you know, uh, you get it wrong more than you get it right probably, but you'll learn through experience and hopefully you can reflect on
2: that. 100%. Um, Just conscious of time, Gerard. I don't know if anyone's got anything else they want to add, but if not then we'll look to wrap up.
3: No, the only thing, I lost my train of thought before, but the things for me are, how conscious are we aware of what we're saying resonating with the players? You know, we often think, like, how self-aware are we of our own coaching style or feedback or whatever approach? Because often, and I've done interviews where I've asked coaches and I've said, like, you know, talk me through, and they've said, oh, I asked loads of questions, but they don't. Like, you physically recorded them, you know what I mean? Or you've, you've mic'd them up. Or they might ask questions, but there are a lot of closed questions and they're pretty much always insinuating the right and wrong answer. You know, or they might might perceive that their feedback is in a certain way, but when you actually speak to the players, they're confused or they don't see it the same way. So I think it's that self-awareness piece is a big one. And a last question for me, something to leave the room with, is do you have a model? How that guides how you deliver information, because that is a dominant coaching behaviour that we're providing information or we're sharing information. How do you do it? Do you have a model that guides your practice? And that could be something. If you don't, could it be something that you create? Um, just two for four. Tony's got his hand up. Yes, Tony.
1: It, it's just another little, a little pointer, really. I, I, I guess it's still to do with context. If you've only got your group for, let's say, one one-hour session a week, or even two one-hour sessions a week, depending on the level that that group is, too much of one style of coaching—question and answer, guided discovery, for example. Um, Years ago, when I was a tutor, we'd go through all this, you know, what are the advantages and disadvantages, that question and answer guided discovery can take up an awful lot of time. So sometimes your feedback might have to take another form. It may well be that you give written feedback, that you share um, documents through Hedia or Twitter, as a lot of us do, um, to try and give feedback either in general, to the the whole coaching population, or if you're working with a specific group, I'll sometimes put documents or clips on Heedja. Uh, whether they read it or not is is, is up to them, really, uh, and not something that you can control. Um, but it's it's just a, again, it's just a thought.
2: I think you spot on, tone I think it is definitely a, a time-consuming thing that um at time, I think it's also recognizing that what impact you can have in, in that moment. Um, and for a lot of coaches who are not obviously working in the environments full time, they'll be in situations where finding the extra time to put that stuff down on paper, if you like, is going to be a real challenge for them. Um, so yeah, that's the only consideration I would, I would have for that is recognizing coaches how you know how, how can you be more succinct and more concise with the feedback you're given so really asking yourself is it the feedback this that i need to give right at this exact moment or can it wait um but also recognizing if it's something that you feel that can't wait and you want to give it right in this moment what the trade-off is going to be for that you know could it be that actually they don't get as many repetitions in, in the session that you're delivering because you're asking more questions and you're actually spending more time doing that individual piece but also recognizing that actually who's the information relevant for one of the things I always ask coaches to do, and I'll, and I'll kind of wrap up on this point, is is the feedback I'm about to give, similar to what you said there as well. Gerard? is it going to help or hinder? Or but another way of looking at it is, is it going to be useful versus relevant? So for some players, I might see a, an observation and say, right, I need to go and step in on that player there and uh, intervene because it's relevant for that player at that given second. But actually for other players, it might not be as relevant although the information I'm giving is still consistently useful for them because they haven't necessarily been the ones who need it in that moment, it might not be in my best interest or their best interest to pull them out straight away on that, if that makes sense. Um, So, yeah, I'll just probably just uh, wrap up on that one, really. I don't know if you've got anything else you want to add on that, Gerard. No, Perfect. Awesome. So guys, um, you know, thank you for being with us tonight. I really appreciate um, everyone who's been involved and everyone who's managed to join our conversation. Apologies for the slight delay and the issues with the link getting the conversation started. Um but myself and Gerard should be back next week and you know if I can just ask one massive favour and you know try and really grow the community. I think Tony, you said it earlier yourself. You know, we're here pretty much every week having these conversations and we're seeing a lot of the same faces, which is um, amazing to see, uh, fantastic to see. However uh, we want to see how many more people we can get to join joining our community and continue to grow it. Um, so yeah. You know you can find this you know you can find out more about what we do by following myself and Gerard. You can just click our profiles and hit us uh, with the follow button. Um and then until next week guys we'll see you there. Uh, we'll see you. Have a great week. Gerard, I don't know if there's anything you want to add.
3: No all good see you next week. Have a great rest of the evening. Thanks again for joining. Uh, look out for the webinar information for the future webinars that we're going to be doing as well. And, yeah, as you'll be sharing information out as well. We shared a few stuff just to give you a taster on our Twitter, just retweeting some of the stuff that we, we had from our slide deck tonight. And, yeah, just keep following.
2: Awesome. Take care, guys.